재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 What time is it? Do you know what time it is? Prime time. It's prime time. is a major concern for people all over the world. And that's what we're going to be talking about as well. Uh, People have been uh, remarking, and if you've been listening to Economic Focus, uh, the concerns of deflationary pressures, uh, whether it's uh, with plummeting oil prices, uh, stagnant economic growth, and uh, the idea that uh, this has been putting a little bit of a damper on uh, the overall global economy. Uh, Now the concerns are sort of uh, a 180-degree change. People saying that Perhaps some inflationary pressure uh, may soon rear its ugly head uh, due to uh, various factors, whether it's protectionist trade policy, whether it's uh, U.S. tax policy uh, and uh, public spending, uh, which is pending. We're going to try to get some analysis on all of this uh, by our good friend from Catholic University of Korea economics, Professor Yang Jun-suk. Professor Yang, thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here. We talked last time about uh, some of the fears may have been slightly overblown, especially with the markets. I mean, it looks like uh, the investors are happy about something going forward right now, and they're not sensing any panic on the horizon. What do you make of this um, idea that um, if he says, if Trump says, and you, you mentioned this last time, TTP is essentially dead, and he's yeah. pretty much said first day in office, it's dead. Um, Japan has said without the US, TPP has no reason to exist. Um, but if he shifts his targets on other things, uh, namely China, I suppose, more so than the uh, whole NAFTA deal, which he seems to use as a political wedge. Uh, how concerning is all of that in terms of this overall uh, theme that we have here with inflationary concerns? Okay, well, the uh, worry here is that there might be, a, uh, well, the economists usually uh, divide reasons for inflation into two, demand pull and cost push. Now, if he does go ahead with all these protectionist policies, then the concern is that you will have a cost push inflation because well, United States is not as dependent on imports as uh, a lot of other countries are. Uh, Korea has uh, imports and plus uh, imports plus exports of more than 100 percent of GDP in some years, uh, but United States only has maybe about quarter to half of their GDP, depending on how well they're doing. Uh, so. Uh, so uh, the United States is a lot less dependent on imported parts, uh, but still uh, they do import a lot more parts than they used to, a lot more intermediate parts. Uh, a lot of the uh, uh, low-income people depend on cheap imports uh, for their uh, uh, living uh, to uh, buy stuff cheap so that they could uh, 
have at least some decent standard of living, and all those uh, costs are likely to go up. Uh, if there's protectionist policies uh, going around. And that's the biggest uh, concern uh, with protectionism and inflation. Now, uh, there's also other aspects. There's demand pull inflation, and that's going to come from stuff like tax cuts and infrastructure investment, but we can talk about that a bit later. Yeah. Now, from what you've been able to observe uh, with the Trump transition, and really much has been made more on... uh the legal side of things, an incoming attorney general who may or may not be confirmed, Jeff Sessions, who's had a very controversial past, particularly with matters of rice. Uh, we have uh, a, a chief of staff incoming, Ryan Priebus, uh, very much an establishment figure, the chairman of the uh, Republican National Committee. And then you have the senior advisor who's supposed to sort of, I suppose, be uh, the highest ranking of them all, Steve Bannon. I don't know how well you know him personally, uh, but um, he is, uh, a lot of people forget, besides Breitbart News, of course, this whole white uh, supremacist ideology, he is also a former Goldman Sachs banker. Um, He's actually said, look, this is the perfect time to do this um, with the interest rates at what they are. It's basically borrowing free money to go ahead and with this uh, strong infrastructure project. Uh, who are the leading economic voices? Because this kind of seems like it goes against the grain of the, the Paul Ryans who are advising him on tax policy and all these other things like Medicare reform. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that Obama wanted to do at the very beginning of the term was to have a, a very large expansionary fiscal policy. Uh, and within that mix was very large uh, infrastructure investment. Basically, the stimulus was not as big as they had wanted to be or what guys right, like Paul Krugman were, wanted because the Republicans because, said no right. way, right? Republic, they were scared that Republicans were not going to allow this. Right now, because uh, Trump has so much momentum, they uh, seem to be first uh, having a larger scale uh, infrastructure investment than uh, they allowed Obama. But here's also another interesting difference. Uh, now... Obama's uh, plan basically uh, had a lot to do with not necessarily making new infrastructure, but fixing the existing ones because well, a lot of the bridges, a lot of the highways, uh, they're in abysmal posi- yeah. uh, condition. Uh, but the Trump plan seems to be that they'll give tax cuts uh, for making new infrastructure. Uh, and uh, they would have tax, uh, tax cuts and tax credit for uh, public-private partnership. So it's like the uh, subway number nine where uh, uh, you have private companies. The whole building, Minyama, uh, debate right. here in Korea. Exactly. So that's the type of thing that the uh, Trump plan would aim for. And there's a lot – after that plan became very clear, uh, there's been a lot of controversy on how effective it would be uh, because what uh, – the economists believe that the largest payoff would come from uh, maintain, uh, doing maintenance on existing highways and roads, uh, but this will have very little effect on those. Uh, they will make new infrastructure, uh, but whether there will be useful infrastructure, uh, that's questionable at the moment. You remember the case of Japan where they had tried to have a lot of infrastructure investment and it did prop up the economy for a little while, but after they built it, it wasn't any use for anyone, so it just basically became a waste of money at the end. Yeah, and I know you share almost uh, I guess nothing 
in terms of philosophical beliefs with a guy like Bernie Sanders, but he has come out and said a lot of similar things you said. This is not, this is the opposite of draining the swamp. This is sort of a sop to his big business buddies and uh, this is going to do nothing to stimulate the economy. Um, so this is very different than from a New Deal type of plan that people have envisioned, at least from the far left, right? Right. And that's what I think is surprising a lot of people. Uh, the, uh, uh, so-called Trump uh, stock euphoria seems to be dying down today. Okay. And that might be because people are taking a closer look at his plans, especially his infrastructure plans. Uh, but uh, it's not going to be something like the uh, WPA program during the 1930s. It's not going to be setting new uh, highways during the 1960s, except perhaps toll roads. And so there's, I mean, again, you don't want to disparage somebody's um, intellectual curiosity or, or policy acumen, but there, there's no indication that he's necessarily sought, thought all of this through as to when he keeps, cry, you know, decrying, you know, broken bridges and tunnels and, and infrastructure projects. That the actual way and the path to do it can have very different results, right? Right. And well, at the risk of uh, doing too much amateur psychology, uh, this type of plan seems to be a very strange mixture of what Democrats said and what Republicans want to do and what real estate uh, developers want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes, you have infrastructure investment like the Democrats want it, but they're doing it in a particularly Republican type of way. And, well, as a real estate uh, developer, Trump... Uh, asked for a lot of tax cuts in the past, tax credits in the past, and that's what he seems to be designing this plan as. Now, whether this will be an effective plan is questionable at the moment. Just going back to the markets, because we've been talking about how there were those fears that the markets would plummet. The, the futures on that election day, of course, uh, showed a precipitous uh, drop uh, in both the Dow futures and, and markets all over the world. Uh, they've recovered. They've actually gone up. Just kind of bat this away about how um, should we consider investors to be these impeccable oracles of truth and, and accurately uh, visualizing how the future lies and if they are happy about things and things are going to be good? Because you've said they have come down, but so that initial euphoria seems to be wearing off? Yeah, I think uh, the past 20 years have pretty much shown that investors uh, cannot always predict the future. In fact, they might not be doing a very good job of it. We've seen that in 1997 and 1998 during the Asian financial crisis. We've seen that during the sub, uh, the uh, uh, IT bubble in the early 2000s. We've seen it during the uh, uh, 2008, 2007-2008 uh, global financial crisis, both in the example of Greece and in the case of subprime uh, mortgages. So they seem to be uh, driven more by bubbles than rational uh, examination of the fundamentals. Uh, but you know, but the markets of uh, stock markets have usually worked that way. So, and that's what we're re- realizing okay. more and more. Uh, the uh, sort of these, maybe not irrational, because well, what's the goal of a stock dealer? Buy low, sell high. Yeah. That means you have to ride with the bubbles, and I because of that, I think you're seeing sort of a uh, micro rational type of bubbles. Yeah. It may not make sense in terms of economic policy as a whole, economic structure of the country, company, but individually buying low and sell high it makes sense to them to ride the bubble yeah so just as uh, much as it would be irrational to say look 
the Dow and Nasdaq are at record highs under President Obama, it would be just as irrational for a Trump supporter to say, look, the markets are doing really well right now. That means that uh, what everything uh, Trump is proposing is, is really going to be good long term. Yeah, you have to remember the stock market ha- tends to be manic depressive. <laughs> so uh, you have to look at the long term averages rather than what's happening at this moment. Uh, you, you talked about something that I think uh, raises an interesting point. You talked about how it's kind of heavy on these sort of construction, uh, real estate development deals. Where we know Trump's business background and how uh, that could raise an eyebrow or two. Uh, this is not purely an economic theory question, but I just want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, uh, there's been a lot of talk about how Donald Trump still has a ties to his existing portfolio of businesses and assets and how it's going to be run now by his children. However, his children seem to have a very outsized influence within the administration, including the daughter being present at um, a, a meeting with Pres- uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe of Japan and how the son-in-law is uh, very active in, in the White House. Uh, and this idea that if, if visiting diplomats are encouraged to stay at the Trump Hotel in Washington, if they go on overseas trips and say, look, if you sign this a, a real estate development deal. We might be able to get you a good deal on the other aspects of policy. Are these things that are um, should be concerning not only to an economist but to people who are viewing this from afar? Yeah, I think there's a real chance of some kind of moral hazard. Uh, maybe even not conscious, but certainly subconsciously. Uh, it's been, you know tr- uh, these uh, running these hotels, running his brand with his name uh, has been seemed to be very important to Donald Trump and. And if there's a, going to be a policy which uh, makes it necessary for uh, the uh, hotel industry or the real estate industry to uh, take a fall, uh, there's going to be a real question on whether Donald Trump can do it. Uh, there's, I ran across an interesting story, uh, and at least from World War II to today, the only uh, president which had a uh, continuing business interest – uh, business interest while he was uh, campaigning for president is the only person seems to be Jimmy Carter. Uh, <laughs> Romney uh, ran Bain Consultancy and a financial firm, but when he ran for president, he separated himself from it. Now, uh, uh, so the uh, Jimmy Carter was the only one who actually uh, ran a business right before he uh, campaigned, and that was a peanut farm. It was one peanut farm uh, moderately successful. I mean, he was yeah. a wealthy man, but it was not certainly at the scale of having even Trump buildings here in Korea and, and all these interests abroad with these licensing deals. And even if you're like a South Korean political de- delegation and you go visit and you want to have a meeting with Trump and they say, oh, where are you staying? Oh, we're staying at the uh, Ritz. No, um, uh, you know, there, there's a great hotel just down the street from 1600 Pennsylvania. You're just saying in those subtle ways, even though it's not blatant, people will just feel that sort of, um, in Korean would say nunchi, but just that pressure that this might be a better way to kind of grease the works here. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a concern, but even a really, uh, even a bigger concern, the one that really uh, scares me is that a lot of these uh, Trump businesses are debt driven. So, uh, if he has a, a macroeconomic policy which can affect the state of the debt, and remember, a lot of these bubbles come from mismanaged debt. So, uh, if you want to, say, uh, blow the uh, debt bubble, if you want to, uh, say, pop the asset uh, market, will Trump uh, allow or encourage policies to do that or really uh, sort of restrict those policies so that these type of bu- asset bubbles can continue? Uh, now, that's, I think, a very frightening thought. 
Going back quickly to the uh, the inflation question uh, and how real those fear, uh, fears are, uh, we have Janet Yellen, who's been pretty hawkish as far as uh, what she wants to do with uh, monetary policy tightening. Isn't just a simple matter of, hey, look, uh, looks like inflation might be a uh, real concern, at least domestically speaking, and she can just uh, up up the uh, rate by 25 basis points and we'll be okay? Well, uh, we talked about cost-based uh, cost-pull inflation and demand-push inflation before. If the, it's uh, t- d- demand-pull inflation, then that's going to be fine. But if it's going to be cost-push inflation so that we have a, st- a situation of stagflation, which is inflation plus recession, then you're going to have to decide which one you want to focus on, uh, whether you want to try to kill the inflation by inducing even harsher recession or whether you want to uh, uh, deal with the recession and let the inflation go higher. And uh, if uh, the cost push aspect of inflation is going to be higher than demand pull, then that's going to be a very tough decision for Janet Yellen, who I think uh, wants to put more emphasis on recession, but Given the nature of central banks, they, uh, they're supposed to put more emphasis on inflation. Mm. And I guess there are questions of whether Trump will in- install his own guide there where it would be akin to a situation, I believe, in Nixon's time where they can kind of even for political purposes time some of these uh, central bank decisions to his political advantage, which again would be, I suppose, a little problematic. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a bit problematic because, well, uh, under the Greenspan uh, period in the uh, central bank, uh, in the Fed, uh, Greenspan had a very uh, tight control over his uh, governors. So apparently... Apparently, once uh, uh, Greenspan made his decision, the other governors just followed. Uh, now, Beinecke and Yellen has been running a more democratic type of decision-making, so their majority rule really matters. And if Trump is able to uh, put more uh, governors, uh, his type of governors, in the Fed, then, yeah, uh, he can... Uh, conceivably control monetary policy as well. So that is a concern. Now, uh, but before we went on air, you were mentioning that, look, the bottom line here is uh, this is sort of the lone bright spot in the global economy, at least among the uh, advanced nations. The U.S., uh, they're growing, albeit modestly. Uh, the key is to continue that growth. And I guess the question is, maybe in spite of whatever Trump's economic policies may be, if growth is maintained, would that not bode well for the rest of us, including here in South Korea? Well, uh, right now, if he goes through with the plans that he says uh, will go through, then that's probably going to have at least some expansionary effect. So uh, if nothing uh, changes except that U.S. grows faster for a few years, that's probably going to be very helpful. Now, from the point of view of the U.S., that will uh, increase their deficit and that might create some problems in the long run. But uh, for the uh, global economy, that may... Ex- actually be good for the short run, except if Donald Trump goes through with his protectionist ideas, then even if the U.S. grows, the amount of uh, uh, expansionary uh, Mm. effect that other countries can feel will be reduced by quite a lot. Speaking of those uh, protectionist views, uh, just to revisit uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, he did indicate in a Facebook video he posted that uh, that's going to be day one on the job. It's gone. Abe of Japan saying if the U.S. is not part of it, it's dead. Uh, for Korea, it's not as important as 
for Japan because we already have deals with the U.S., with China. And so it almost seems like at least um, versus Japan that gives us a little bit of a competitive edge, no? Yeah, I mean, because basically we still have the uh, Korea-U.S. FDA. Uh, now, Trump has been saying that he'll renegotiate uh, it or perhaps even cancel it. But still, until he does that, we still have the Korea-U.S. FDA and Japan does not. So that gives us a certain amount of edge over uh, Japan, at least until Trump gets around to whatever he wants to do with the Chorus FDA. For Korea, bottom line, just very briefly, uh, all those concerns with Trump, all those concerns uh, with the domestic political situation, and we've been already talking about some of the uh, overall economic concerns. How worried should we be here in Korea? Okay, well, uh, there's always a chance that Trump will be better than uh, what he campaigned to be. Uh, so uh, we should not get that depressed. Uh, if the uh, problem ends with just the chorus FDA, then that we're going to be able to survive it. It's not going to be pretty, but we're going to be able to survive it. Uh, but uh, if Trump does manage to create a very large recession in the U.S., uh, then uh, things might get even worse. Uh, hopefully, there'll be people around him who can stop that. But uh, based solely on his campaign rhetoric, I'm not that hopeful at the moment. Unfortunately, <laughs> Professor Young is not that hopeful at this moment. Uh, we'll see how the situation changes. As always, Professor Young, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you.